And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, basking in beating Blackburn, talking Tottenham, vanquishing Villa, hopefully, and quiz questions. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Well, we find ourselves back again with your listener, or maybe you're joining us for the first time. If so, welcome. If not, and you're a regular and you want to leave us a nice review on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, that is the sort of thing that really helps this show. It means that other Chelsea fans can find us easier, so we would appreciate that. It's free, it only takes a minute. Thank you. Uh, it's me, Matt. I'm here, joined by two of the Athletics' finest. You know that Luke Bosch is going to be on the show, because he always is these days. Luke, you feeling any fatigue yet? Are we, we're going to have to manage your minutes soon? No, no, no. Can't get rid of me, Matt. Much like Conor Gallagher, as you uh, <laughs> said in the uh, last recording. <laughs> Uh, what does that make Dominic Fifield then? I wonder. Reese James, maybe we give him a run out, but we think if he gets through to the end of the show, then that's a bonus for everybody. Thiago Silva, surely, I think. But without without Ooh. the class and the quality, possibly. <laughs> um, but certainly with the age. Yeah, there's a little bit of shade there. I enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've got the mainstay. We've got Papa Fifield. Uh, that means that we can start reflecting on Wednesday's Carabao Cup tie. Chelsea are going short with this corner hit. So we're seeing Gallagher's effort. He sends it into the ball. It's turned in. Barry Shield wheels away in celebration. It's picked off by Palmer. Sterling suddenly. It's always going to happen. Blackburn Rovers, the architects of their own downfall. Time and time again, they've tried to hurry things up, playing out from the back. And time and time again, Chelsea have picked them off. I think it was a solid performance. I think it was good for us to just to build you know, this this momentum, uh, winning the game, going through to the in a competition that we're going to go and want to fight for, try to win. And yes, I think too many positive things. Important to win, and you know, uh, uh, going through. Chelsea 2, Blackburn Rovers 0 at Stamford Bridge and a goal in each half from the returning Benoit Badia-Shield and Raheem Sterling got the job done. Chelsea should have had a penalty first half. Blackburn will argue the same for their cause, uh, but overall, this was a gloriously forgettable game. Lucy put the call out on Twitter slash X for some opinions from you guys. Peter says, something as simple as a win at the bridge feels like a prize at the moment. Good to see Sterling on the score sheet. Shack Attack says, positives. Reese is back and didn't get injured. Benoit is back and looks good. Solid from Enzo and Palmer in particular. Negatives. Couldn't see proper patterns of play most times and lacked drive. And Sharpie says, first half, Cole Palmer. That's all. Second half, Cole Palmer chilled out. Overall, meh, but we'll take it. All right, here's one in the eye for those who say the format of this podcast has become predictable. This is me and Simon talking after the match. Right, Simon, we're here in the press room at yeah. Stamford Bridge talking about a check's notes. Comfortable home win. Um, that was that pretty plain sailing. Pretty plain yeah, sailing. Yeah, pretty plain sailing. I mean, you know, the, of course, there was a Conor Gallagher handball in the first half. 
but Raheem Sterling should have got a penalty as well in the first half. There were a couple of little moments in the second half, ball over the top, but relax everybody, I'm going to be fairly upbeat. It was an important win, they got the job done. I think there were some notable um, appearances tonight, particularly, I. well, I've written about it, you'll, you'll see it, Rhys James, I think, just changes the whole atmosphere around this club when he's on the pitch. You can see the difference it makes, not only to his teammates, but the fans, they, they just sort of get behind him, they get behind the team a bit more. I thought for an hour, okay, maybe in the first, more in the first half than, than the 15 minutes afterwards, but I thought, yeah, you can see why Chelsea miss him so much when he's on the treatment table. I thought Raheem Sterling, second half in particular, really stepped up and, and, and showed that he can, you know, for all these sort of people sort of saying, oh, look how much money he's on, you know, turning it on against Blackburn in a sort of League Cup tie, you know, this is a guy that's, that's won an abundance of medals and yet he's showing that he wants to get Chelsea through the next round. And of course, it's a great night for Badia Shiel, his first start of the season, caps it off with a goal. And one of the first things he did that I made note of was a great interception uh, defensively. And that's the kind of player he was when he was uh, at full steam last season. So lots of positives, but let's not get carried away either. He was only Blackburn, the championship side. Cole Palmer, I'm going to use a technical term here. Yes. He's a bums-off-seats player, right? You can yeah. feel the anticipation when he gets them. I, I hesitated to name him in that list of names because we're probably going to do this every week is name him because he's always going to do something in a game that makes the uh, worth the entrance fee he's a skillful player he, he, he loves a trick there was even a moment where um, in the second half the, the referee had actually blown for a free kick but he took a shot from about 40 yards from the wing and it hit the post and he turned around and smiled and laughed with the crowd it was a lovely little interaction there and it sort of shows that you know he, he knows how to enjoy himself but he is a difference maker and is already looking a bargain at the sum that Chelsea paid for him. And finally, this is kind of perfect pre-Spurs warm-up, right? Because you've got the extra few days to rest but also you've got an hour into Reese and Badia Shield, Enzo Fernandez playing like he does every game, box to box, like it's a World Cup final. It's that nice mix between a fairly gentle evening, but also an important workout for certain players. Yeah, I mean, Pochettino said in his pre-match press conference that he wanted to play a strong team because he knew there were some days afterwards to recover for, for Spurs and that his team selection would not be influenced by such a big game coming up because he knows that they had to win. They simply had to win for many reasons but obviously to get through to the next round but just the confidence you can't lose at home to Blackburn it would have been a disaster imagine the pressure Pochettino would be under but it, it, yeah it was the perfect night really because like you said James and Bannishield came through unscathed looking good but now it's all it's all about Tottenham isn't it and if they can beat Spurs then we can truly all of us be positive about what's going on Fingers crossed for that but one to enjoy tonight uh, let's get back to the day job or the night job Cheers much appreciated <laughs> And you can read Simon's piece on Reese James that he mentioned there. It's up on The Athletic now. Uh, so, Luke, in terms of the lineup, we saw four changes from the game against Brentford. In came James Badishil, Ugachukwu and Enzo. Uh, without disrespecting Ugachukwu, who's, who's probably further along in his path to becoming a Chelsea first-teamer than even he expected, uh, we saw what we'd been missing with those other three players, I think, here. Yeah, so I kind of spoke about it and he's obviously written about it on Reese James so I won't cover that in too much detail but I think I really agreed with the fact that just every time he got the ball there was a sense of anticipation and I just think you know possible cliche but the dynamism that he brings to the right back in inverted commas role you know he 
had a couple of shots in the first half that I think one was saved and one just went past the post. And, you know, that really lifted the crowd and absolutely no shade to, to Malagusto or um, Dezassi who have played at right back in his absence. But Reese James is, you know, when he's fit, he's, you know, arguably in the top five right backs in the world. So it's no surprise that he uh, he brings a different dimension to that role. And and Badi Ashil looked really sh- assured coming back, having been on the bench a few times. Again, another cliche, a strike is finished from a centre-back uh, for his goal, very composed. And I thought he showed that composure with some of his passing, particularly in the first half. I saw a, I think it was two minute, 31 second compilation uh, of Badia Shields' touches uh, against Blackburn that was up as early as last night, uh, set to some uh, nice, gentle, uh, tropical house music, I think. Uh, so go find that if you uh, want a sense of uh, how well he played against Blackburn. And Enzo Fernandez, of course, been a bit quiet in the last few games. I've had a few friends that aren't Chelsea fans kind of say that I've watched games or highlights say that, you know, he's gone missing a bit or he, he's not really controlling games. I think, you know, it looked more like a 4-2-3-1 to me. And I think him playing slightly deeper, he played a few passes, great passes over the top, really showed his quality. Uh, and it's just, it's really good to see him back on song, uh, I think. And he's just, a quality player. I think those those combinations with Reese James were a standout as well. In the, the early chances that, that James had, both stemmed from passes from from Fernandez, and particularly the, the raking one, as as Luke mentions, there out to the right that, that, that sent him scurrying through to for a shot that almost squeezed under the Blackburn goalkeeper. But on James, we've been here before. I mean, I look back because I was reading Simon's copy this morning and. A lot of it sort of obviously rang true, and and uh, but but it reminded me that the last piece I wrote whilst working as a writer for the Athletic was last December, December the twenty eighth, twenty twenty two, for the Bournemouth game where James was back in the team after injury, was brilliant, and Chelsea purred. They looked fantastic that night. They made Bournemouth look distinctly average, and at that point you just thought, well they're going to go on a decent run here and it's going to work. And But then his injury kicked in and, and it all went the other way. We're still in that situation. I think Simon's made that point. And when he comes off last night, Pochettino's, you know, he's he's virtually wrapping him in cotton wool, desperate so that he's he's fit for the weekend, that he, sorry, fit for Monday, so he can play a regular part. That is that is the big challenge with with Reese James. It's keeping his, his, him fit because we all know that when he is... In the team, Chelsea just have a new dimension, a different dimension, and and it and it can set them apart, and it can certainly thrust them out of mid-table into a team that's challenging for Europe again. But without him, they lack things. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how he's managed over over the next few games. And fingers crossed, this is the start of a, a run in the team for him. Um, wanted to spend a bit more time, Luke, on Badia Shiel, and more specifically, something which we haven't really spoken about because we haven't had the chance to see it yet, but the potential benefits of a, a partnership between him and Axel Dizazi, because lest we forget, they are, we're told, best mates and have played together an awful lot for Monaco before they came to Chelsea. And, and given the fact that this is a team that's been pieced together and, and are still getting to know one another, that could actually be a big benefit for Chelsea, couldn't it, if they if they stick with it? Yes, certainly their friendship, I think, uh, will be an advantage in the dressing room and hopefully on the pitch. But those who are slightly more in touch with French football than me have uh, 
urge caution over their potential partnership in at the heart of the Monaco defence because supposedly it wasn't actually that solid <laughs> when they played together last season, whereas this season I think Monaco are doing, ironically, a lot better without both of them in the team. But it's, it's definitely a good thing. And I think, you know, as you said, and as we've talked about a lot on the podcast, Liam, I think, mentioned it on Thursdays that this Chelsea team is just so different to, you know, even six months ago that any kind of, you know, chemistry you can get or manufacture between players, particularly at centre-back, which is which is such a vital partnership, is really, really useful. And, you know, Badia Shield being back, again, we've spoken about it before, but it gives Pochettino a bit of a headache, a good one at that, because, you know, watching him play, he plays in such a similar way to Levi Colwell. <laughs> and they're both left-footed centre-backs. And would you play two left-footed centre-backs together? Especially if you have Dizazi and Thiago Silva in the squad, it, it's very difficult. But, you know, we spoke about off air and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Chelsea have a lot of fixtures in December. So that level of squad depth and, you know, those rotation options will definitely be needed before the year is up. Yeah, it was the first time that uh, Levi Colwell hasn't started a game this season. If, if we want players who know one another well, maybe we could put Thiago Silva's son next to him. In defence, uh, he was uh, paraded along the pitch before the game as part of the under-16 Chelsea side that uh, recently won a trophy alongside Michael Emanalo's son, who's also part of that team as well. At the other end of the pitch, Dom, few people talking to us about Nicholas Jackson. Prasanna says, let's talk about Jackson again. He missed half chance. His movement was poor. How can he improve his confidence? Uh, could he go to the under-21s? I think that's very unlikely. Uh, Louis adds, Jackson looks lost at the moment and the stadium was getting on his back. Needs taking out of the firing line. He can't be taken out of the firing line at the moment if Chelsea want to play with a striker. That's the issue, right? Because Armando Breuer is out. Do you think it's a case of trying to play him into form or do we just have to accept that this is a young player who had a purple patch at the end of last season? But but other than that, we don't have much evidence to to draw on that, that he's going to be the, um, the focal point for a, a team looking to get into the top end of the Premier League table. Well, that, that's it in a nutshell, Matt. I mean, he he had that prolific little stint with Villarreal at the end of last season. But prior to that, he was a player that was close to joining Bournemouth mid-season. That was the the level of club that was coming in for him. Chelsea have obviously seen raw talent there, but it is raw. He's he's young, he's learning. It's This is a, a brutal education. If Christopher Nkuku was, was fit, I imagine he would be leading the line and, and Nicholas Jackson would be playing cameos off the bench uh, at this stage. I think Chelsea can operate without him if they if they really need to. I mean, they have got attacking midfield options. Raheem Sterling could possibly play through the middle. They could play false nines, etc. While we wait for Armando Breuer to come back from the latest knee niggle. But I don't know, taking him out of the firing line now, I think he might, at the moment, it might actually be as damaging as, as leaving him in. It's almost like you, you, you're not displaying much faith in him if you if you withdraw him now ahead of a a massive game at, at Tottenham Hotspur, one that will have everybody salivating uh, on Monday night. So it's a dilemma, but but Pochettino in his man management, is that's meant to be one of his fortes. So you'd imagine that down at Cobham, he's working there to try and get the best out of him, to try and restore some confidence because we saw flashes of, of that ability that had, he was showcased so well in that scoring streak at Villarreal earlier this season. So the talent is there it's just a matter of the of him learning the league, learning the system, learning about life in a new country, learning, adapting, 
settling. And I'm sure the confidence and goals will come after that. What do you think, Luke? Is, do you want to play him into form or, or do you think that he would benefit from a little spell on the sidelines? It's difficult. I think particularly with Tottenham coming up, which you know I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail, I actually wouldn't be surprised if Pochettino opted for a similar team that started against Arsenal with Conor Gallagher and Cole Palmer kind of pressing as two false nines, as Dom kind of said there, because Tottenham play, you know, they've, they average a lot of possession. Pedro Porro kind of inverts in a similar way to the way Alex Inchenko does. And, you know, Saar and Bissouma, you know, very good on the ball from deep areas. It, it really wouldn't surprise me if um, Jackson doesn't start, but not for an ability reason, just because it's the way Pochettino wants to play. All right, we'll talk more about Spurs shortly, uh, but Don, we should finish up on the Carabao Cup. It's Newcastle at home in the quarterfinals. It's what, 10.47 on Thursday morning. Feels like the draw's only just finished, um, if you missed that. <laughs> and you did well, my goodness me, what a rigmarole that was. It's um, it's not the best draw, is it? I guess the positive is that Chelsea are at home, but yeah, he'd rather it was Port Vale. Yeah, 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 you would, um, clearly. Yeah, Newcastle will look at it the same though. I mean, Newcastle have had to to take out the last season's treble winners and then the holders of this competition already in the last two rounds. So they were remarkably good last night at Old Trafford, albeit against a dismal Manchester United team. But Newcastle picked a team, you know, full of fullbacks. Didn't have a centre half in the side. That was their second eleven, effectively. But they all played in that. Eddie Howe style Newcastle United way. It could have been their first team of the you know in the in the style of play that they actually implemented at Old Trafford. They scored some cracking goals. They'll pose a real threat. And on the Chelsea theme, and I was talking to the Athletics correspondent Chris Woff, the Newcastle correspondent at the game last night, saying you as the goals flew in, you know, Tino Livramento's involvement in the in the first goal was superb with a run from from deep from right back, absolutely burst beyond his marker, um, irrepressible, and then played the ball through for Almiron to score. And Lewis Hall's finish for the second was something else. I mean, he had no right to stick that volley into the far corner uh, in a very, very cluttered um, penalty area. So really, really good goals. Players that Chelsea will be well aware of. And given Newcastle, well, look, there's the promise. When we were talking about Chelsea having a load of games in December, Newcastle have more. Newcastle are a club coping for the first time in ages with the Champions League group. And it's it's left them stretched at times. They didn't look fatigued last night because Manchester United were so dismal. But there's got to be a chance that the team that rocks up at Stamford Bridge in the next round of this competition uh, is showing some wear and tear after the the fixture list that they're enduring this this year. So there's there's a hope. Uh, if Chelsea can whip up a bit of a storm, that they can, they can impose themselves on Newcastle. Yeah, just looking at their fixtures, it's, it's slightly annoying that this game comes after their Champions League group stage is actually concluded, and it's um, it's going to be in between a home game against Fulham and a trip to Luton for Newcastle. So potentially not the most testing fixtures, but Luke, you'd still say that a quarter final in, in the League Cup this season, as we find ourselves in 2023, is going to be of more importance to Chelsea than Newcastle? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I mean, Eddie Howe will undoubtedly not say that in his uh, press conferences, but I think privately 
from a Newcastle perspective, the Champions League is and the league is their kind of be all and end all this season, followed probably by the FA Cup, followed by the League Cup. Whereas for Chelsea, you know, you're looking at the Carabao Cup, that might be their best chance at getting European football for next season. So I think Chelsea will certainly be more up for it. And I think that will be reflected by the crowd at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Newcastle, always a big game, but Newcastle, this Newcastle side, who have all that money, have all that quality. And, you know, as you say, a quarterfinal place in the semifinals on the line, I think Stamford Bridge will be right up for it. Yeah, and they'll meet in the league uh, before that up at St James's Park at the end of November. Three more games for the Blues to go this month. The first of them is a biggie. We'll talk about it next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. After Chelsea Sports' weekends were ruined by Saturday lunchtime last week, the powers that be have decided to let you enjoy a couple of days off uh, before what these days is a daunting trip to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, Dom, I think we can safely label this as the, the biggest game of Maurizio Pochettino's Chelsea career thus far. What, what kind of reception do you think he'll get and, and what will the ramifications for him be of, of defeat slash victory? Well, I know there are a few questions there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, it's an interesting one on the reception because in normal circumstances, I think that the Spurs fans would would have been particularly vociferous and ferocious with with Pochettino and and a perceived sort of betrayal that, that he might come back to English football and go to Chelsea. Not least because there were all these suggestions swirling around in the summer that that, that Spurs might have been considering him as manager as well. However, given Ange, Ange Postacoglu's success, that might have drawn some of the, the venom out of that. Um, that reception. He's done so well and taken, obviously, Tottenham to the top of the Premier League, playing a brand of football that Spurs fans recognise as what they want to see after Mourinho and Conte, etc. I think, I mean, I suspect there will be there will be some noise around Pochettino, clearly, but I suspect the locals will be too busy revelling in the Australian that they've recruited rather than wanting to take it out on the Argentinian who used they used to love i mean it's 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 one of those those strange ones but i mean obviously if, if chelsea then do a job on them that may change as far as pochettino's concerned this is this is huge i mean this is this is the club where he really i know he came to southampton originally in england but it was at spurs where he he really showcased what he could almost achieve in english football champions league finals domestic finals that didn't actually bring any yield any silverware um but he was 
adored in these parts in uh, in Tottenham, and and he was the man that allowed that club to to kick on after the you know the progress that had been made. I suppose under Harry Redknapp, you have to go back to that was the, the, their last little period of flurry of success in Champions League football. So it will mean a lot going back to Spurs for him, uh, and he'll want to go back and and make sure that his team aren't turned over and embarrassed. To be honest, he'll he'll want to go back and show them what that they're missing. Seems like quite a positive guy, uh, Luke. Chelsea sports, I think, have been pretty patient so far and understanding that he's got a group of players who, who are still getting to know one another, as we mentioned. He'll be looking at this as, as a chance to really not cement his legacy or, or stamp his authority on the job, pick another cliche you like, but, but to to really sort of make his impression on, on Chelsea fans and, and, and convince everybody that he is the man to, to take this bold new project forward. If he can do what nobody else has done yet and, and beat Tottenham this season in the league. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a case of Pochettino buying himself time, but a victory against Tottenham at Tottenham, especially this Tottenham, how successful they've been this season, certainly will buy him a lot of favour with the Chelsea supporters. And you think that, you know, he was quite close to doing it against Liverpool, obviously very close to doing it against Arsenal, two of Chelsea's other rivalries in the Premier League. But against Tottenham would be would be something else. And Chelsea, that's one thing going into this game, is Chelsea under Pochettino have been pretty competitive against some of the bigger sides this season. So he'll certainly be going into that, I think, with confidence. And as you say, Chelsea, I think, will be the underdogs, but that, that might suit them and that might suit Pochettino. It's a difficult game for for Spurs as well. I mean, you look at the, I know they've had fantastic run in in the league, but they've really only played a two two draw at Arsenal, where they did play very very well and 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 recovered well from setbacks in that match, and then the victory over Liverpool, which which by the end was had sort of turned a bit farcical because most of the Liverpool team had been sent off. So the, the other games you look at and you think, well, they're not. Not the most demanding. I mean, Manchester United at home at the time felt big, but we've seen what United are now. They're a mess. So, they, 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 you know, they win narrowly at Luton. They, I thought for long periods, my boys gave them a, a bit of a, well, an awkward evening at Selhurst Park last last Friday night. Talk about ruining weekends, by the way. Mine was ruined <laughs> by 10pm on Friday night. So it's, look, it's, it's a tricky game for them as well, and they'll be more than aware that, that you know of of who is coming back here: Pochettino, Chelsea. With that, I know last season was a was horrible, but it was horrible in many other ways for for Chelsea. But Chelsea's record at the, at the revamped Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is phenomenal, really. So I think it's an, it's an absolutely intriguing game. It, re- it really is. How do you stop James Madison, Luke? Do you think that that's a job for, for Enzo Fernandez or, or Conor Gallagher? Is it going to be that specific as, as you basically man-marking him? Yeah, we haven't really seen Pochettino, I think, instill a kind of man-marking on a number 10 as yet in the Premier League. I think for me, if it was if it was anyone, it would probably be Moises Caicedo, given his propensity to snap into challenges. But uh, Madison's been unbelievable uh, for Tottenham this season. What do they do after 10 minutes, Luke, when he's been booked? <laughs> well, I mean, at that point, Madison might be injured. Such is the strength of the challenge. So, wow, you're advocating injury. Not, oh, I, think I, said, I think I said he might be injured. It's just it's purely theoretical discussion, Dom. I think from watching Tottenham this season, though, going back to that, I think 
Madison has, although he is ostensibly playing as a number 10, he is popping up all over the pitch. He's definitely been given a license to drift left and drift right. He's very good on both feet. He's just been very, very difficult to stop. And I think I've watched some of those games and I can't remember off the top of my head, but teams I think have tried to man Mark Madison. And the problem with that is, you know, when he does pull left or right, if it's a defensive midfielder marking him, that player is then dragged out of position and that creates holes for, you know, we've seen Papsar is, you know, driving into the box, late arrival. I think he scored once from doing that already this season. Bissouma is, you know, in the form of his life in a slightly deeper role, but he gets forward as well. And and Pedro Porro, as I mentioned earlier, inverting inside has been a constant attacking presence and popping up in the box, getting shots off um, or you know, combining with Hyung Min Son up front. So I think it would be, it would be risky for Chelsea to, to properly man Mark Madison, but I'm certain he will be, you know, the focal point, him and Hyung Min Son of their pre-match preparations. And in terms of Chelsea's attack, Dom, a few people getting in touch about the Mudrick Jackson dilemma, Andrew and David among them. We alluded to this earlier, but do you think for this match, the best option would be to go with the three of, of Palmer, Mudrick and, and Sterling? I ask that because I know you don't get the focal point of a striker, but it's difficult to drop Palmer at the moment. And Sterling is the experienced player in the Chelsea attack who knows about these kind of big games. So it is those two plus one, presumably, or would you put Mudrick in for Sterling or maybe even move Palmer around? I think you just ask Cole Palmer to carry on doing what he's doing because the Blake is phenomenal. He's had a fantastic start to his to his life at, at Chelsea. We can speculate on this all we like, but but Mudrick is injured as far as we know. So, you know, let's 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 see whether he's past fit for the weekend. He's a lovely prospect to have if he's if he is fit and available, you know, the thought of him running at at Tottenham, particularly if Chelsea are having to soak up a lot of Spurs pressure or possession, you know, they nick the ball and they can counter. You know, if you have him and Sterling scuttling at at Tottenham's backline, I, I, that's quite an appealing prospect for for Chelsea. But I think that will depend very much on on fitness issues and whether he's whether he's passed and available to play the, come Monday. And in that regard, hopefully, the extra day or two will be a benefit but then maybe that I can see that as we mentioned in the first part I can see that sort of fluid uh, maybe slightly pacier front line working and, and and Nicholas Jackson maybe not required from the start and and, and you know reliant upon a, a, that busy midfield trio of Caicedo, Fernandez, and Gallagher um, then maybe Sterling through the middle Palmer drifting Maybe even Nani Madueke, possibly something. One of those sort of players who who can be skillful and can unpredictable, maybe, and, and and hurt Spurs in that way. But but yeah, there'll be some. It'd be very interesting to see what what Pochettino says about Mudrik's fitness on Friday. That's interesting, Luke, that, that Dom mentions Madueke because he's in danger of becoming a little bit forgotten man. Maybe if you're going with the three without Jackson and without a natural striker, does that have to be Mudrick, Palmer, Sterling, or, or could you put Madweke in there and and go with that way? I kind of talked myself into dropping Jackson for the Spurs game when we spoke about it earlier on the pod. So much so that I think I, you know, if I was in charge uh, and Mudrick is not fit, I would switch Sterling over to the left hand side and play Madweke on the right. But as you said. He doesn't seem to have won Pochettino's trust yet, for whatever reason. Pochettino hasn't spoken that openly about it. 
um, in terms of his reasons for not being selected. And I think he struggled with a few pretty minor injuries, which is why he hasn't been in the squad at times, despite Chelsea's sort of lack of attacking depth um, in the first part of this season. But, you know, particularly, you know, last season when he first came to Chelsea and over pre-season, he's such an exciting player. You know, like Cole Palmer, he is he can be uh, very much a bums-off-seats kind of guy with his trickery and, and pace running at players and down that right-hand side. And I think, you know, there's a question mark for Tottenham over whether Destiny Udogi will be fit to play at left-back. But, you know, he's yet to really, I mean, very good going forward, don't get me wrong, but yet to really show his any defensive solidity. And I think the idea of Sterling or Madueke running at him or running in behind him could be very appealing for for Chelsea or Pochettino. The other option, I guess, that, that he might consider is is using Malo Gusto or or even Dezazi at right back again and asking Reese James to play further up the flank. Possibly, I mean, he's got that option now. He's got a, a couple of good right backs and Gusto Gusto playing there and 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 James a bit further up might might offer the balance and. And, and he clearly trusts uh, James far more than he does Madueke, so maybe that's another one he could look at. That's their options, isn't it? Imagine how many there'll be if Chelsea ever get everybody fit in the squad. Uh, whatever happens, win, lose or draw, we'll be back to discuss it in our next show. That's going to be on Tuesday, obviously, because the game happens on Monday night. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Elsewhere in Chelsea News, the women's team back in action this weekend as the WSL returns. They play Aston Villa at Walsall's Poundland Bescott Stadium. On Saturday lunchtime, Chelsea second behind Man City on goal difference. City are playing Arsenal on Sunday, so potentially a good chance for Chelsea to leapfrog them. They've won all six against Villa in the league, including both to nil 
last season. Our friend Jesse Parker Humphreys has written about Villa's early season struggles for the Athletic. Go and check that out. They've lost all four games so far. They're only off the bottom of the league by virtue of Bristol City's terrible goal difference. Um, and in terms of goal difference, Chelsea have scored 75 league goals since the beginning of last season. That's nine more than any other team in the league. And this season, they've got nine in four. That's an average of 2.25 per game. So it might be a long afternoon uh, for Villa. Uh, Sam Kerr came second in the Ballon d'Or, Luke. I think you sort of got to say that's fair enough, haven't you? Because Bon Matty has been pretty amazing. But nice to have uh, a Chelsea player in the top three. Yeah, really nice, Matt. And and well-deserved, I think, based on Kerr's contributions over the 22-23 campaign, which is what this Ballon d'Or in late October is based off of and Guru Wrighton, I think, and Millie Bright also, you know, in and around the top twenty. I can't remember their exact placement, but they were both up there, which is nice to see from a Chelsea perspective. But yeah, I mean, Bon Matty, particularly during the World can't say I watched that much of Liga F, but during the World Cup was just unbelievable. Um, you know, the composure for a twenty five year old. She's been on the scene for so long as well, since I think twenty sixteen, seventeen, she made a Barcelona debut. Absolutely no qualms with the award of that Ballon d'Or, but Sam Kerr definitely deserved to be a conversation. Uh, Dom, you watched England lose their Nations League game against Belgium midweek. A lot of Chelsea representation here. Brilliant to see Frank Kirby back playing for England again and scoring. Uh, but the back four, which was comprised of three Chelsea players from, from kind of half an hour in, was pretty ropey in, in your opinion. That might be a concern for Emma Hayes or, or does it not matter when it's international rather than club well that's a good question actually I, I I think if the back four was up against players who have the, the pace of Tessa Willart regularly on uh, it might well be a problem that uh, that rears up in in the women's super league but they, they were really creaky in that game the game that they really should have won I mean okay they go they go behind early on to to Belgium but after Greenwood's injury, weirdly, it sort of it sort of spurred England into life, and the they had a, a little passage before half time, which was capped by Frank Kirby putting them ahead, um, where they, they they could have scored four or five, and they really should have had the game out of sight. Lovely goal from Kirby, brilliant, brilliant run from Lauren Hemp to set her up, but it was a lovely composed finish, and great to see her scoring again in England colours. But the sloppiness really crept in from that moment on, and. The way that that uh, Willard was able to outpace both centre halves, Millie Bright and and Jess Carter was was disturbing actually for the equaliser um, when the penalties a bit freakish at the end. But every time Belgium countered and ran at those centre halves, England looked vulnerable. And I think Emma Hayes will have watched it and will have provided food for thought. But, but yeah, I mean, that was international football and I'm sure Chelsea won't have the same issues against Aston Villa. Yeah, they will have Rachel Daly and Kenza Daly to deal with. Uh, Chelsea have only kept one clean sheet in the league all season. It's uh, a 12.30 kickoff on Saturday. If you're outside the UK, you can watch that one along with me. Uh, the under-21s host Fulham in PL2 on Friday night. I'm doing that one as well. It's on the Chelsea app, if you like. Uh, they then go to Oxford in the final game of their EFL Trophy group. That one's on Tuesday. If they win that, they're guaranteed a place in the knockout rounds. Uh, the under-18s play Blackburn in the Premier League Cup on Saturday morning. Right, we're nearly done for today, but you know, I've got a quiz lined up. 
Alright, I'm having a bit of a crisis, I'll be honest, because last week's uh, quiz was universally panned in terms of the questions. So let's see if this one is, is any better. Uh, it's Chelsea Spurs adjacent, which is tricky because we must have done like 20 of these Chelsea Spurs quizzes by now. So if there's any questions that have been replicated, just don't alert me to that fact. Thank you. Uh, Luke, you're up first. Before last season's defeat, how many games had Chelsea gone unbeaten away at Tottenham? Um, that's, that's quite tricky. <laughs> Is that all competitions or Premier League only, Matt? Uh, all comps. Uh, at, at Tottenham. At Tottenham. Yep. Okay. Um, it's a few, but I'm not sure how. I don't. I don't know. I can't profess to know exactly how many. I'm going to say to make it a streak three. Tom, you can pinch it. Bucks to figure out the ether. Five? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's sort of unfortunate, really. But, um, yeah, you did get it right. (laughs) 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 Sorry, Luke. That's my fault. Uh, Hopefully you'll get this wrong, Dom, and then we can have a bit of jeopardy. Uh, Which former Chelsea striker scored twice for Spurs against Colchester in September? Uh, oh, is it the one? Oh, is it, I mean, Simon wrote about. I can tell it wasn't Simon. <laughs> um, oh, it was. It's, it's is it the is it the young the, the young kid that signed in the summer? I know for the record. You know for the record. <laughs> Gonna have to push you, dumb. Soonsuk Bell. What's his first name? Oh. Jude. Jude? Yeah. Jude. (laughs) Very unconvincing, but you are right. Yeah. Jude (laughs) Soonsuk Bell. So is he on loan then? Uh, No. He is. Played for the 21. Yeah. It was in the Football League trophy. So that counts as a senior competition. I was trying to be clever and it hasn't worked. Uh, Luke, here's your (laughs) second question. Uh, Who's the only current member of the Chelsea squad to have scored for the Blues away at Spurs? Interesting. Um, I'm thinking back. I think it must be. I don't. And now I'm not sure. <laughs> um, there's been so much change in this squad. Scored <laughs> um, away at Spurs for Chelsea. Yep. Okay. I mean, in theory, it should be easy because there's not that many players that have done that. Uh, I I remember Thiago Silva scoring against Tottenham, so I'm going to go that, but it could have been at home. You are correct. It is okay. Thiago Silva. Well done. 2-1 to Dom. Lucy really wants this to go to a tiebreak because she's written um, a tiebreaker that has a little dig at Spurs and she's put it in all caps which is um, her code for let's really read this out please Uh, before we get to that though Dom (laughs) here is your second question who made their most recent Chelsea start in this fixture last season Uh, 
You're right to puff your cheeks out. Uh, Lucy has put in brackets, slightly evil, but excellent. So can you repeat the question, Nate? Who made their most recent Chelsea start in this fixture last season? So away to Tottenham. 2-0 it finished to Spurs. Graham Potter probably said, oh, never mind, we'll try again. <laughs> So it's a current Chelsea player. Who made their most recent Chelsea start in this fixture last season? No clues. Gonna have to hurry you. This is like the Carabao Cup draw, isn't it? Just <laughs> when will it end? I think that it sounds like you're being Cheeky with the question. <laughs> is it a, is it a Chelsea Loney Kepper? Luke, you can pinch it and draw as level. Yeah, I'm sure Kepper finished the season, right? It's Chelsea oh, yeah, one, I think. Yeah, um, and this game was in January. It was in January or February, I think. So I'm I'm sure it's a player from the phraseology of your question, Matt, that's not at Chelsea right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I can't remember. I can't. I can't remember who exactly would have played i mean someone oh I've, I've now i now i've yeah uh maybe oh possibly Not someone i think someone injury prone perhaps that i don't know i can't remember who missed the end of the season dom is i mean this is a podcast but dom is very threateningly hold, wielding <laughs> a cricket bat um <laughs> So I might I might guess a deliberately incorrect answer. To no, 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 don't worry. Quiz win. For Matt. for Matt, not you. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm hundreds of miles away. I am not intimidated. Come on, Luke. Tell um, me who it was. I'm going to go for Loftus Cheek, maybe. Oh, it's good, but it's not right. I'm afraid the answer we were looking for was Hakim Ziyech. You'll remember now that I bring it up that he uh, was initially sent off. Yeah. And then the ref downgraded it to a yellow after looking at VAR. It was a very, very weird thing. It was not long after he nearly joined PSG, but for a fax machine. All right, so it's 2-1 to Dom. Both got one question left in regulation time. So, Luke, here's your third. At Stamford Bridge last season, Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte had a touchline spat. I'm obliged at this point to say, I can't believe that was only last season. Uh, which of those two... Manage more games for Chelsea, Antonio Conte or Thomas Tuchel. You're pulling a face, Don, but it's way, way closer than you think. Is it? Yeah, I think that's. Yeah. I think that's quite. I think that's quite tricky. Uh, I was actually at that game, uh, right above where Mark Kukurea was viciously assaulted, and a penalty <laughs> was not awarded. Um, disclaimer: He wasn't actually assaulted. Um, you know. <laughs> In case Christian Romero is listening to this podcast and then wants to sue me. Uh, it was a joke. Um, Conte lasted, was was just two seasons, two full yeah. seasons. Whereas Tuchel obviously was almost like two seasons. I'm going to say Tuchel by virtue of the fact that I think Chelsea were in Europe the entire time that he was head coach. Whereas on the Conte... They weren't for the first season. 
to Tuchel. It's good logic. I'm afraid I can't pass this over because it's an either-or question, Dom, but it is Antonio Conte, 106 versus Thomas Tuchel, 100. So far, That's amazing because he wasn't, yeah. I mean, it was it was well short of two years for, for Tuchel, wasn't it? This is according to our friends at Transfermarkt. Um, will Thomas Tuchel get to 100 games at Bayern Munich? Probably not by the looks of things. Um, okay, Dom, uh, if you get this correct, you've won. If you don't and Luke pinches it, we will go to the tie break, uh, which I'll ask anyway for fear of reprisals from Lucy. Uh, your third and final question then, Dom. Which Chelsea player got sent off in the one-all draw at White Hart Lane in 2013? Yeah, you can. I pursed my lips as well and went, huh, when I was trawling through soccer base, desperately trying to come up with a question <laughs> we haven't used before. <laughs> that would have been under Jose. No, no pressure, Don, but I do know. So. Do you? Oh, bloody hell. Yeah. I... Um... 2013. So that was the uh, that was the year that they they was. Just... It was 2013. Stop stalling and give me an answer. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Lucy puts a sort of a tense of you know who was that millionaire quiz, whatever it's called. Who wants to be a millionaire? Uh, I don't know. No, I haven't got a clue. John Obi Mikel. It was not John Obi Mikel. Go on then, Luke. Take us into the tiebreak. I'm pretty sure it was part of the his whole torrid time at Chelsea. I'm pretty sure it was Fernando Torres. It was Fernando Torres. He got two yellow cards, the second of which was in the 81st minute. Uh, if you haven't done this, listener, just, just Google image search Fernando Torres now and go, well, because he is a bloody big bugger. He's put on a, a lot of muscle weight. And yeah, if he thumped you, you'd feel it. Right, so we're going to a tie break. This is really exciting stuff. Lucy wants to know how many extra million Instagram followers do Chelsea have compared to Spurs? Brackets, we are massive, close brackets. Simon would be absolutely fuming if he was taking part in this quiz because he hates these kind of questions. Uh, So closest wins, how many extra million Instagram followers do Chelsea have compared to Spurs? What do you reckon, Dom? Well, I think you should go to Luke first because last time we did one of these, he just, put, <laughs> he just did one number above me. <laughs> ah, actually, yeah, that's a good point, and you're absolutely right to raise it. So, Luke, um, this is your punishment for taking that tactic last time. Well, surely, in fairness, we should just type it at the same time or text it to you or Lucy. All right, put it on the group. That's a good idea. <laughs> What are we putting okay, it on? Confuse Liam and Simon. We've got to open my WhatsApp. All right. This um, is really good for the audience, this. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, Matt, you should give us a countdown so that Dom doesn't like cheat and do it after me. But... All right. Have you got your WhatsApp open, both of you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 10 second countdown starting now. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, Two, one, text. Blimey, 
It's a big difference. <laughs> it's a really big difference. It's absolutely miles off the actual difference, I can tell you. But I can also tell you that our winner today, and he absolutely deserves this because this podcast would have collapsed over recent weeks without him, is Luke Bosher, who went for 9 million more. Dom, you said 2.1 million more. Set your faces to stun, chaps. Chelsea have 24.9 million more followers on Instagram wow. than Tottenham. What is Instagram? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's sort of like Twitter, but with slightly less hatred. Um, But yeah, that is genuinely quite surprising to me. Very good question, Lucy. Well done. Perhaps you should write the quiz from now on. Um, Luke, I mean, if you take part in a quiz every week, you're going to win some, I guess. But it feels like you're in a good moment. Yeah, I'm definitely, uh, definitely in a good moment, in a good run of purple patch, I think is how you'd term it on commentary. But, you know, nice to beat Dom again. It's becoming a bit of a theme. <laughs> Back to the drawing board here. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm still smarting after the Eden Hazard farce and, and, and now I've thrown <laughs> that one away just because I couldn't remember who Fernando Torres was. <laughs> oh, Hakim Ziyech. Well, yeah. fascinating, fabulous roller coaster ride, that listener. I hope you enjoyed being along for it. Uh, right, Dom, tell us what people should be looking at on The Athletic, please. Well, we, we did a... The podcast yesterday with Duncan Alexander and Jay Harris on uh, the fact that no Premier League managers um, have been sacked to date this season. Obviously, Eric Ten Hag has subsequently listened to that podcast and decided to go all out to make sure that that happens and wreck it all. That's worth a listen, if only to to hear some of Duncan's fantastic stats and, and data analysis. And also, there will be a piece going up probably on Monday morning from, I imagine, Liam, possibly Simon, looking at Pochettino's return to to Tottenham and I'm, I'm sure our Spurs writer Charlie Eccleshare will be doing something similar on Ange Postacoglu and uh, whether Tottenham have any regret at failing to uh, entice Pochettino back to the club over the summer. Very good. Uh, Luke, you're the, the news hound of this parish. Does that mean that your job today is just hitting refresh on the, the Twitter feeds of Bayern Munich and Man United and, and looking for a picture of a corner flag? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very newsy after a midweek of poor results for big sides. And I was going to say, Matt, uh, for any Chelsea fans or human beings, really, that enjoy a bit of schadenfreude, uh, there's some good stuff on the demise of Manchester United and how bad they are up on the Athletic and plenty more to come in the next few days and weeks and months and years, probably. <laughs> Well, that's something that we can all enjoy uh, listening to this podcast. Maybe not just limited to to human beings. I'll go and read some of it to my dog now and see what he makes of it. Um, As I say, we will be back on Tuesday for our first show of next week. That's so that we can reflect on the glorious victory at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Remember to give us a follow on Twitter slash X at SOCobbandPod. Go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. And if you've got a couple of seconds, if you can give us a nice review and rating on your podcast platform of choice that would be much appreciated too and many thanks then to luke to dom to lucy and to you for being with us and to simon for having a little chat with me in the press room on wednesday night as well we'll be back on tuesday have a good weekend bye for now the athletic